Thank you, Lord. You know, I believe that there is an assault on the minds of believers as to the efficacy of the Word of God. I told Easy the other day, I go, I'm going to give you a break from the news. <laughs> you know, you can listen to the news so much nowadays. It's such bad news. There, I mean, it is bad news on top of bad news. On top, I just wonder how they can keep the same bad headlines going this long. But see, the gospel is called good news. <laughs> but there is an assault on the minds of Christians, of believers, to believe that it's not like that anymore. You know, we remember I talked last week. I rarely do unless I'm in a series, and this is not a series, but I talked about the used-to-be life. We used to see healings. We used to have converts. Easy used to get people up out of wheelchairs. We used to do this, but, you know, now times are different. No, 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 no. We talked about who has power that we no longer can be content with spotty power, intermittent power, our neighbor having power, somebody else having power, but we don't. The power of the gospel, the power to heal, set free, and deliver, it's, it's the truth. See, and anything else is a lie. Let God be true and every man a liar. And there's a lot of men that are liars nowadays. <laughs> I'm going to read this just on the side. In 1988 or 9, it was right before Easy let go of his business. We sold our house. God called us into full-time ministry when he was age 60. And we put all of our assets into doing whatever it was that God was calling us to do, which we weren't sure exactly what it was. But the year and a half before that, I got very, very ill. And I was generally healthy, but I got so ill. It was a neurological type thing. It, it, it was unique. I'd get these symptoms. I would be bedridden for days, couldn't get up. Doctors couldn't figure out what it was. It was very mysterious. They had several guesses. People go, oh, she's going to end up in a wheelchair. I actually heard those words from someone. And the enemy would try to put that picture in my mind, and I had to actively resist it. And I resisted it by speaking out loud. Because you may not be able to control your thoughts, but when your mouth starts speaking something, it pushes your thought out because you got to listen to what you're saying. <laughs> and I went to Rama, to Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, to Kenneth Hagin's ministry, where he had a Bible college called Rama, and they had something called Prayer and Healing School. So I go to Prayer and Healing School, and during that time, you just sit under the teaching of the Word of God. You just sit. You just sit. They have meetings at 2 o'clock and at 6 o'clock or whatever the time is, twice a day. And you just show up and you just, maybe it's 10 and 2. And you just show up and they just teach and teach and teach. And people walk in with a lot of illnesses. But there's an expectation that if you sit under the Word of God, something's going to change. And something will be different. And I took notes and I pulled out some of my notes from the late 80s out of a folder I had. And I'm just going to challenge some of our mindsets because sometimes we start out high, but because of the enemy, the oppression, the depression, the suggestions, we end up down here. And just like with kingdom finances, it's not like come if you're poor. <laughs> come to get your mindset wrapped around how God thinks about money so that there's a freedom concerning it. You know, the blessing of the Lord makes one rich and he adds no sorrow to it. A lot of people have money, but they're stressed out. And so God is challenging our mindsets and getting us back in agreement with him. And this is one of the things that I wrote down that the preacher must have said. And they just had various teachers. It was sort of like fivefold ministry, like different people spoke on different days. 
healing glorifies God. The works of the devil do not glorify God. And then I put a star on this one. God's highest and best for any person is not them managing well in spite of their illness or disability. His highest and best is perfect healing and wholeness. His highest and best. I think we're starting to settle for less than his highest and best. Now, last week, I talked about power and passion. Power and passion. Today, I want to talk a little bit about fire and rain. Now, this is not the James Taylor 1968 song. For those of you who are thinking of that, uh, you're giving your age away. Um, okay. <laughs> I loved that song. But you know what? It was very depressing. See, if you really find out what it's about, I mean, he was, he was mourning the suicide death of a friend of his while she was in a mental hospital and talking about his own heroin addiction. And so some of these melancholy songs we love, I mean, they came from not a good place. And so I'd rather have let your glory, you know, let your fire fall, let your wind blow, let your glory come down. Because at least we know it's coming from a good place. <laughs> and so really, I'm talking more than about James Taylor. I'm talking about Elijah a little bit in 1 Kings chapter 18, because first the fire fell. And then the rain came. Now, they both came from God and they required him to fully depend on God but they also both required something of him. We're not exempt from this package. I want to review one page because I ended last week with a church with revival fire often has these four characteristics. And I was quoting Sergio Scataglini, a wonderful man of God, wrote The Fire of His Holiness, many other books, uh, led the Argentinian revival uh, and lives in Louisiana now. And we've actually been to some of his meetings in Louisiana. And the church of the book of Acts First, had to build a fire place. See, there's got to be a place for God's fire to fall. And that should be you in every individual life. But it also needs to be corporately a church who will welcome a move of God. See, some churches don't want a move of God. It will mess up the program. You know, you can't follow the bulletin. You might not get out on time. You might get out two minutes late if God does something unusual. <laughs> but we say, God, let this be the place. We want to make room for you. Alan kept getting the words, make room. All during the year, make room. God, let this be the place, one of many. One of many. Two, you don't need to just build a fireplace. You need to have fuel for the fire. And people being in unity, on the same page, in one accord, there is no better fuel. There is no better fuel. So all of us together, on the same page, pursuing God, seeking after him, expecting his best, his highest and best, is fuel. And then you have to light the flame, and that is up to the leaders, leaders who ignite the flame. But then, like I said, a few people can't do all the burning. We can't have the worship team up here burning, and we're just watching them burn. <laughs> They'll burn out. <laughs> and then we have to feed the fire, feed the fire. People who keep the fire burning by prayer, by fellowship, by love, by worship, by discipleship. There's a congregational participation. And I said, come expecting. Because sooner or later, if you're expecting, you'll give birth to something. And the world is not attracted to a lot of things about the gospel, but they are attracted to a church on fire, even if they don't know why. So today I want to talk a little bit, not about power and passion, but fire and rain. Many years ago, many years ago, 
Cambie and I were on our way to a prayer event, and it was 7.30 p.m. on a Friday night, and I got a phone call from Easy, and he said, make sure you two have your umbrellas, because it looks like we're going to have some heavy rain. Looks like we're going to have rain. Well, we got out of that meeting at 10 o'clock, and there was no rain, and Cambie left my house at midnight, and there was still no rain. Later, during the night, I heard what Easy told us was coming, the sound of heavy rain pounding on my roof. Now, this was in the days, you know, before everybody had a weather app on their phone. It might have been before you could even Google it on the Internet. (laughs) It might have been before we even had a computer in our house. And the phone he called me on was probably a flip phone, and there was no such thing as texting for us normal people. So how did he know? See, he'll go, look out there at the sky. You see that? I'll go, no. (laughs) I was raised in the city. The first house I was born into had a garbage disposal. He was raised on the farm. I I don't know what he's seeing. He can tell what's happening with the weather, and I know many smart people can, but people like me, we just don't know. We just wait till it rains. We go, oh, it's raining, and then we run grab the umbrella out of the car. But he knew because he saw the conditions that were present ahead of time, and he knew that certain atmospheric conditions produce certain effects. Atmosphere is defined in the dictionary as the air of a locality, the air or the climate in a specific place. But it's also defined as a surrounding influence, an emotional environment, even an attitude. So there's truth in the saying that your attitude can affect your altitude, how high you could go. Now, in a home, Members of the family can create an environment, an atmosphere that can be felt. You can walk in certain places and it just feels like disorder. In some places it feels like order. In some places it feels like, oh, this is a nice fragrance. In other places, like, what's that odor? (laughs) There's places where you can have kind words that are the norm and they're spoken much of the time. And that creates a certain atmosphere. But places where there's many tense words spoken, it creates another atmosphere entirely. You can have peace. You can have tension. You can have hope. You can have despair. You walk into a certain room and you can feel the despair. You walk into another place and it just feels like all things are possible here. One time, Cammie was recovering from a surgery. And um, some of us women in the church were just taking turns being at her house because she couldn't be alone. And... When I, I took my turn, and everything was clean. The counters were wiped. Everything was lined up perfectly on the counter that she needed to take. We had perfect little notes and instructions. She had everything she needed. But then court came in to take over for me. And court put on music and lit candles and had this sweet-smelling aroma. And, like, all of a sudden I go, God, it feels so different than when it was my turn. It was just so nurturing. It was so lovely. It felt so special in the room. You can create an atmosphere by what you do or don't do. A long time ago, 20, 25 years ago, 22 years ago, Alan came by our house, our other house that we used to live in. It, we've lived on three homes on the same street in 45 years. <laughs> It's just so much easier. You just change the number on the address change, and that's all you have to do. You don't have to change the city or the zip or even the name of the street, just the number. And um, Alan came to our other house, and it it was a long time ago. Easy and I were younger. We don't argue anymore. It's just too tiring. Like, we need to save our energy for other things, but 
we had been discussing something, and um, we had been discussing it for a bit, and, but um, when we, you know, heard Alan knock at the door, we just were quiet, and, you know, everybody shut up and smiled and go, hey, and Alan came in, and he sat down at the breakfast table, and he sat there for all, he goes, I got to get out of here, it doesn't feel good in here, and I'm like, whoa, <laughs> so you can, by what you say or don't say, or even what you just did, you can create an atmosphere in a place. So I'm not just talking. Oh, let me. You can, you can change the atmosphere by what you do, by what you say, by what you choose not to say. And some people, just the fact that they're saying nothing creates an atmosphere. <laughs> you can protect an atmosphere by what you don't allow into it. What you refuse to allow into it. Now, I know that some people do need to be healed of the effects of a negative environment that they grew up in. I understand that. An atmosphere in their house that was filled with fear or criticism or tension or, or arguing, uh, and, and it creates feelings and emotions in children that can stay with them even when they're no longer in that home. And sometimes you just carry the atmosphere with you. Because an atmosphere is what you take in, and it can have an effect on you. And so when I'm talking about atmosphere, I don't just mean taking your wife to a nice restaurant with candlelight. I don't mean just a romantic uh, gesture that you make. I'm talking about a surrounding influence, an emotional and actually even a spiritual environment, the figurative air or climate of a place. So just as with weather, a husband can walk in the door and he can tell if there's a cold front <laughs> or if it feels warm and inviting. And so he sort of knows that this may be an indicator of things that are to come. Kids can walk in from school and look at mom. Oops, high pressure today. <laughs> you know? Or maybe it's low pressure and they know this is a good time to ask her for that thing I've been wanting. A family sits down to eat dinner, and everyone is expecting a lovely meal. And a few words between siblings get out of hand, and then what was supposed to be a lovely meal turns into a time of turmoil for everybody. So my point today is this. In the natural, weather patterns and storms are the result of certain conditions. And understanding the preceding condition, the preceding condition, is our key to predicting the end result. The same in the spirit. Same in the spirit. Certain atmospheric conditions are predictors of what to expect next. And if we will understand this and wrap our head around it and use it wisely and capitalize on it, we can actually bring more victory into our lives, into our homes, and into our churches. Matthew 16 and Luke 12, Jesus says these words in a not-so-complimentary way. You can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it that you do not discern the signs of the times, he says in one scripture. And in the other one, he says, how is it that you do not discern this time? This time. Now is the time. See, Easy told me, you know, we don't want to live a used-to-be life because now, faith is, now is the time. And so Jesus is really telling them, pay attention to what's going on around you. Pay attention. And pay attention also to what I have said. 
Not what the news is saying, not what the reports are saying, not what the every talking head is saying. Pay attention to what I have said and position yourself for where I'm headed. Where I'm headed. See, do you, who do you want to take directions from? Somebody who knows where there's going or somebody who doesn't even know what side's up? Spiritual cause and effect is all over the Bible. If you do this, I'll do that. If this happens, then I can go here. I can do that. See, in Genesis chapter 11, a group of people unknowingly positioned themselves for great success. They got in a place of one mind and one accord. The Bible said nothing that they proposed to do would be withheld from them. And they weren't even godly people. But they positioned themselves for success because they agreed on something together. The place of agreement is always a place of power for good or bad. Doubt, confusion, double-mindedness create an atmosphere that even Jesus can't work in. And I know that little religious thing on the inside of you goes, no, Jesus can do anything. Don't say that. Don't say that. You know, it wants to rise up. Jesus can do all things in the midst of any atmosphere. Yes, to a point. But in Mark 6 and Matthew 13, the Bible states clearly that he was unable to do many miracles in a certain place because of their unbelief, their lack of trust, their lack of faith. And another translation says their hostile indifference. Atmospheres matter, even to Jesus. I've been in a place before, and I'm like, whoa, it's so hard to preach in here. But then you go somewhere else, and it's like it was just so easy, like the people are just pulling it out of you. Atmospheres matter. And what then happens in that place changes. Whatever is in people, when they come in the door, it comes in with them. Ooh, some of you don't even want to be coming in with yourselves on some days. <laughs> They're like, you just wait in the car. I'll go in. <laughs> Whatever's in us comes in with us. And it becomes part of the atmosphere. Kenneth Hagin's prayer and healing school, when people went there, they were sick. People had incurable diseases, terminal illnesses, things people couldn't diagnose. But the level of expectation, see, you came in with an illness, not good news. But the level of expectation was higher. The level of expectation exceeded the, the diagnoses, even though there were many of them. You go to a special conference as opposed to church. And there's this expectation because you had to make special plans. You had to pay some money to go. You had to go at a special time. It's not just Sunday morning and, you know, I'm supposed to. You know, you're, you're, you're coming with an expectation. And, and it's funny, you get more out of it. Wow, that was a great conference. And I listened to it. I go, we preached that five times. Did they not hear it? Like, what happened? It was Sunday morning. Expectation changes the atmosphere. Faith can dispel fear and doubt. If certain atmospheres are predictors of what's coming next, I believe that we, as the church, as a corporate body, need to deliberately cultivate an atmosphere for miracles. Why? Because we need them. <laughs> we need them. Our, our friends and families need them. The world needs them. We want to be in agreement with God, and it is always God's will to heal the sick. Last week I said revival is God's will. It's not just something we thought up. 
revival is his will. But then Easy has been prophesying for years that our revival will be a healing revival. And he didn't just say that out of thin air. Alan said, when Easy sees something ahead of time, you just better bank on it because it's coming. Then we got a word from Patricia, uh, Dale Gentry. I see healings and signs and wonders. Then we got a word from Patricia Bootsma, who didn't even know us at the time. And she pointed the two of us out and said, I see signs and wonders and miracles in your church. I see people coming in in wheelchairs and stretchers and, and walking out healed. You, healing is God's will for us. But I have never heard of so many illnesses and maladies, not just in our church. This is no condemnation on you. I have things I'm believing for. Many, many of our ministry staff have things they're believing for. They have family members they're believing for. This is not a condemnation on a person. But I'm just saying I've never heard so many illnesses and maladies and diseases affecting Christians in all my life in the nearly 70 years I've been alive. Because, see, it used to be that most of the young people were well, and then when people got a certain age, that's the thing that the devil has got us to buy. And it's, I'm not buying. I'm not spending my money on that lie, okay? And we'll, we'll deal with that in a second. But I've never heard of so many affecting so many people. In 45 years of my 70, I've been serving God. But Easy's prayer list at home, and if he tells you you're on his prayer list, you're on it. And it's got babies on it, babies with cancer whose parents are Christians who are quoting the word day in and day out. It's got little toddlers on it that he's praying for. It's got 20-somethings, 40-somethings, 60-somethings, and every age in between. So many on Facebook, Christian families with children and toddlers with cancer. What is going on? You know, I understand there are natural things that can be causative. And I understand that we are in a world where we can't necessarily trust what we're ingesting, what we're breathing, what we're this. and that. But God can do all things. See, it doesn't matter what caused it. God can be the solution. And so, you know, and it, and it used to just be, oh, well, when people age. I remember one time we went to this conference and um, I was a little bit younger. And, and then we had some other couples with us that were a bit older. And when I saw all the stuff that this woman was taking out of her little night carrier. I'm like, if I ever have to carry that much medicine with me, I'm not going anywhere. I just soon go on home to heaven because it looked like so much trouble because, but I thought, but she's older, but she's older. But you know what? When Easy was 60 and we sold everything to, to start ministry, I'm not advising this. Let me say again, I am not advising this. In fact, I have advised many people against this, but for 10 years, we didn't have medical insurance. Go ahead, go ahead and gasp. Go on, go on. We didn't have medical insurance. But you know what? We didn't need it. We didn't even have ibuprofen or Tylenol in our house because we didn't need it. One of the young kids came over and goes, do y'all have any Tylenol? I go, no, we don't have any. They're like, what do you mean? I go, we don't have any medicine in the house. We didn't need it. We just immersed ourselves in this healing indoctrination. I think if you're going to be indoctrinated, indoctrinate yourself with that. <laughs> We decided that, you know, we could go ahead and splurge on medical insurance after that, and I'm glad we did, because then there was a time I needed it. I had surgery on my ankle. We're not anti-medicine. If I'm in pain, I'm not anti-pain medicine. And I've told some of the young people in this place, you're getting medical insurance, because nowadays I've read that some COVID test, people are in an emergency room, they were billing somebody twelve, fourteen thousand dollars $14,000. Crazy stuff. And rather than fight it, the insurance company just paid it. Because it was easier than getting all the lawyers involved. 
But for a whole decade, Easy was from 60 to 70 years old. And we never needed anything from a doctor. I was from 42 to 52 years old. But see, what's better than divine healing is divine health. Divine health. But before we can experience divine health, guess what? We've got to get divinely healed. <laughs> We've got to get to that place where we're even on even ground. And so I know there are many people in this room that are fighting many things, but fight. See, fight. Don't give up. I could have given up when I was on that sick bed of affliction, and that was a good name for it because nobody could figure out what was wrong with me, and the symptoms were debilitating. I mean, I, I, sometimes I could hardly get my words out. I'd go to put a glass on a table, and I had no distance perception, and it'd just fall off. You talk about not being in control of yourself, but see, God wants to be in control of us, and he doesn't want the devil in control of us. And so with all these symptoms and everything, in some ways, the devil is taking our control away from us and away from us yielding it to God, and he's in control. And I'm sick of the devil being in control of any of us. I want to read a couple of little quick excerpts from some devotionals back from the 70s, the kind of things I was raised on. The scripture is Luke 13, 16. And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound, lo, these 18 years, obviously it's King James, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day. And then the devotional says, sickness is bondage. Jesus went into the synagogue on the Sabbath, and a woman came in whose body was bowed, bowed together. She could not lift herself up, bowed down or bowed together. She must have been bound with something. Maybe it was like arthritis because she could not stand up straight. Who did this to this woman? Was it the will of God that her body be like this so that she couldn't stand up straight like other humans? Did God put that on her? The answer obviously is no. Jesus then says to the woman, woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. He touched her, she was healed, and immediately she straightened up. It doesn't matter how long you've had something. It doesn't matter how, how obvious it is to other people that you have it. It doesn't even matter if they don't see it. God wants to loose you from your infirmity. The rulers of the synagogue, though, became angry because Jesus had healed the woman on the Sabbath. You know, some people think more of a day than they do of the Lord. Notice that Jesus then said that Satan had this woman bound for 18 years. And when you're sick, you are under bondage. It's not a blessing. Do you ever ask for a blessing of sickness? It's not freedom when you're sick. And then Kenneth Hagin goes on to say, I remember when I was paralyzed and I was bedfast for 16 months. I know what it means to be bound. I know what it means to be in bondage. You want to get up. You want to move. You want to do things, but you can't. You're helpless. Sickness is bondage. And so our antidote is this confession. It is not the will of God that I be sick. There were things that they gave us in prayer and healing school, and they said, say it 30 times an hour. And I'm like, 30 times an hour? I'm not going to have time to do anything else. Well, really, sometimes that's, that's good. Because <laughs> you can't think other stuff. You can't agree with all the symptoms. You can't be going, oh, I feel, the, oh, I feel it again. It's going to happen. Oh, no, I'm going to end up in a wheelchair. No, you're saying something 30 times an hour, and you can't say anything else. I got well. It is not the will of God that I be sick. It is the will of God that I be free from every bondage. Freedom from every sickness and disease. Another one. Acts 10.38. 
how Jesus, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power. Here's our power, the Holy Ghost and power. And he went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Now, I know, because I'm hearing the room, that some of you are going, well, sometimes it's not always the devil. Sometimes we need to change what we're eating. Mm -hmm. We need to change our exercise pattern. Yes, we need or get some. Uh, one time somebody was having all this back trouble, and Kenneth Hagin said, you need to lose weight. It's your, you know, you're, you're pulling your back out of line. There are natural things that we need. To, I know that Norville Hayes one time had a word of knowledge for someone that they were deficient in a certain vitamin. They started taking it and got well. There can be natural things. I know that John Wimber used to pray over people and get discerning of spirits. And sometimes it was a spirit of infirmity and not always just a natural cause. And so there is discernment in this area. But God's will is always to heal. See, it's always for, that we would be well. What did Jesus do with his anointing of the Holy Ghost and power? He went about, the Bible says, doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. First, this scripture tells us that every person was healed. The words every and all here are interchangeable. Second, we learn that sickness is oppression of the devil just from this scripture. Satan is the oppressor, but Jesus is the deliverer. There's bad news and good news, and we have to use one over the other. We know from this scripture that God wants us well. One scripture. He doesn't want his church to be under the oppression of the devil. And Acts 10.38 even tells us the source of sickness. Even if we didn't have any more scriptures in the whole Bible to rely on, this text tells us sickness comes from Satan. And that Satan is the author of sickness. Dr. John Alexander Dewey said, Sickness is the foul offspring of its father Satan and its mother sin. Doesn't mean you sinned. This is not about individuals. It means that since the time Adam committed high treason in the Garden of Eden, a stream of sickness and suffering has flowed down into the human family. But throughout the Old and New Testament, God makes provision to stay the plague. We're in a time of a plague. And then people are plagued with many other things. But Jesus has made provision for it all. This person says, I found that sickness and disease, if they're from the devil, I'm not going to have anything that belongs to the devil. I'm not going to have sickness and disease. And so the confession is Satan is the author of sickness and disease. So I'm not afraid of sickness. I'm not afraid of disease. I will not have it. And if Jesus tarries his coming, I will die without sickness or disease. Easy got a prophetic word that he'll die instantly and he'll die strong. I'm banking on that. But he won't die a day before God is ready that it, to, to, that it, and everything that he's supposed to be done on this earth is done. He doesn't want to leave any undone things. And so we need to create an atmosphere for miracles. Because if what we do now is a predictor of what's to come, and if God says he wants this to be a house of healing and a house of miracles, and if God says there's going to be a healing revival, we need to create an atmosphere that's in agreement with what God is saying. And so we need to meditate on. We need to think about. We need to speak out loud what God's word says about healing. Even if you don't need healing, you might be the person who brings healing to your neighbor or the person on your row or to somebody who walks in the door. And so some in this room operate in gifts of healing. That's what Easy did for many years, gifts of healing. He'd just call out people and they'd get healed. And he would know what was wrong with them. Some operate in words of knowledge. Many times you'll hear Sabata call out a word of knowledge and, and go, I, I, I feel like someone here has this and people have gotten healed. 
Some operate in discerning of spirits. But we all contribute to the atmosphere in the room. All of us, every one of us. And so what we want to do is make it easy, make it easy for when people walk in, for them to receive everything they need that Jesus has provided. I'm not willing to settle for anything less. I'm not willing to go to that low level. I'm not willing to dumb down my Christianity just because there's a lot of bad news out there. I want to ramp it up, and I want to have everything that God promised me. You know, everything he promised me, it is my inheritance. Somebody leaves you an inheritance. They read the will, and they say, you're going to get this and that and the other. You're going to walk out and go, it's okay. You're going to go, I want what's mine. I want what's mine. Stand to your feet with me. Father, I thank you for the people in this room. I thank you that we all matter. We all count. Father, you love each one of us. There's no good thing you want to withhold from us. And I thank you that we all contribute to the atmosphere, God, that's in this place when people walk in. And so, Father, I thank you that if there's anything in us that needs to be out of us, whether that's mental, whether that's emotional, whether that's spiritual or physical, God, you will lay your axe to the root of the tree and you will make us every whit whole. Father, I thank you that years, years of certain maladies and conditions, God, where they have dogged us, God, that that's not too hard for you. It doesn't matter how long. You can, we can get a miracle in a minute. Father, I thank you that, that it doesn't matter the, the trauma that we've been through as a child or, or what kind of abuse we've come through or, or that marital situation that, that mangled with our mind. Father, you can heal us up and make us every whit whole so that we can again trust and again receive and again believe and, and be free in our hearts to receive all that you have for us. So, Father, I just thank you that we commit individually and corporately to begin doing what we can to create an atmosphere for miracles. Because then, like Easy said, it's getting ready to rain. It's getting ready to rain. I see a heavy rain is coming. And, you know, I feel like God is saying, here's my sign, greater works yet ahead. Greater works yet ahead. So, God, we prepare ourselves for the greater works. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen.